0: So guys, well, good morning. Good to see you. I want to suggest it's really helpful for you to, to realize that life is impossible. <laughs> really, for as long as human beings have been around, there have been other human beings who are happy to tell them how to make life work and to give advice and to say you should do it like this. And that's helpful and that, that can be. Good, and uh, we now live at a time uh, where uh, the internet just gives us seemingly unlimited amounts of information, uh, life hacks. People saying, "Look at this person; they've really got life figured out." Um, and I don't want to despise that kind of thing. This week, I saw someone say, "You know, if you're not sure what to, how do you get the last bits of Nutella out of a Nutella jar, that's a big problem. <laughs> Put some ice cream in there and mix it in, and then you'll be able to get it all out." I mean, that's that's great advice. <laughs> this is life getting better. But isn't it isn't making life possible? Everyone blows it. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone has to live with regrets. Even if you tell yourself you're living uh, in a viewpoint that has no regrets, and you know I, regrets I've had a few, too few to mention, that kind of thing. Actually, everyone lives with regrets. Everyone makes mistakes because life isn't just really hard. I think life's impossible. And sooner or later, we need to realize that Christianity is especially impossible. Because it involves really going against the grain of the world in which we live. It is a totally different way of living. Now, because it's impossible, and people think, well, this seems really um, difficult, we often are familiar with versions of Christianity that, are, that kind of seem possible instead. And, and essentially, Christians are like everyone else. They're just actually a little bit nicer. <laughs> or they're a little bit less nice. And that generally seems to be how it goes, and and, and that's what people do. They think, well, this seems to be Christianity. But it doesn't look much like Christianity as described by Christianity's book, because Christianity is impossible. The great news is, God knows this, and he cares, and he doesn't just want to give us some advice. He wants to give us divine power to enable us to live for him and to live his way. And at the end of today, at the end of this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask God for that kind of power in your life. For grace to live an impossible life. And to get us there, we're going to look at an impossible story. We are looking at the life of a a man named Elisha from the Old Testament, and he was in an impossible situation. He was to succeed Elijah as God's prophet to a nation who didn't want to hear And the way that was going to start was he was going to cross a river that didn't have a bridge. So let's read from 2 Kings, uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 1. And let's see what God did about that. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water and the water was parted to one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you've asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Let's pray. Lord, these are are big things. These are impossible things. And our minds are whirring even at the thought of them right now. So would you please come and help us to hear you. Would you please come and enable me to speak, and most of all, Holy Spirit, would you make yourself known to us today, right now. Amen. So Elisha has, chosen, has been chosen to be the successor to Elijah, and this is the moment when that great change is about to take place, a real generation shift in the land. And everyone seems to know about it. The narrator says it in the first line. The sons of the prophets, everywhere they go, talk to Elisha about it. Elijah himself seems to have been prepared for this. And so this whole time, Elisha must have just been thinking about what is about to happen. What is coming very, very soon. Elijah has been a heroic, miraculous representative of Yahweh, the God of Israel, for a generation He's the one who has uh, spoken and done incredible things on behalf of God. And Elisha knows he's about to be the person who takes on that role. What does he need to follow in in those mighty footsteps? He spent 10 years with his master. He has followed him around. He's watched him. He's learned from him. He's seen how he does things, what he does, what he doesn't do. All these kind of things. What has he learned from all this about what he needs if he is to continue God's work in this difficult place, in this difficult time? When he's asked, what do you want? What does he say? He says, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. He knows that he needs the power of God. He's In this moment, if you could ask for one thing, what would you ask? Elisha says, please give me the power of God. Same's true for us. We need the power of God to live impossible lives. And I, I just want to make this really clear from the start of what I am talking about and what I'm not talking about. Because there's a significant difference between inspiration and impartation. If you could put the next slide up. Uh, Lloyd, that would be great because this happened to me this week. I met Heather Stanning, Olympic gold medalist rower. Her and Helen Glover, they'd just been unbeaten for like four years. They were amazing and this was at Edinburgh had a celebration for its Olympians where it gathered as many of them as it could. And um, I also met Scott Quinn, who swims for De Baths and uh, won the silver in, the, uh, in one of the Paralympic categories of breaststroke. And it's funny, the closer you get, the more you're trying to be cool and casual, but then there's a gold medal right there. There's an Olympic medal. And my usual reticence just, I was like, I need to get over this because I could touch a gold medal and speak to a gold medalist. And so, and so, I, and so I did. It was an inspiring moment. These people work phenomenally hard. They're like a peak of human physical achievement uh, in so many ways. And uh, during the Olympics, I think it was the BBC, they had a hashtag, inspire the next, or something like that. And they were talking about that the whole time. want you to be inspired. want you to be inspired. And that's great. But inspiration would not make me an Olympic athlete. The time has passed. I've made my peace with it. It's okay. (laughs) It's all right. This is really, it's really important, because I even got to touch the medal. They're really heavy, inspiring moment, but at no time in that, when I touched an Olympic medal, when I spoke to an Olympic champion, did I receive any athletic ability from them. (laughs) Nothing like that happened. In fact, even holding the medal, I was like, how do they carry these around for so long? (laughs) And the people who win more than one, it just seems to me you're making your life difficult. And in, in an old age you just kind of really saw back There was no impartation of power to me. Inspiration, sure. And inspiration's good. Inspiration helps us to succeed. But impartation, there was none. And we are talking today about impartation. God giving us something that we do not have. It wasn't it was in you. You found the the hero inside yourself. It wasn't that you, you discovered an inner strength. That is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about God giving you his power. It was out with you. And now it's in you. Elijah's cloak is the symbol of that impartation of God's power. And that's what we need because there is a real difference between doing something that's really, 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 really hard like becoming an Olympic champion and doing something that's impossible like Christianity that calls life from the dead causes blind eyes to see and shines light in the darkness. We're called to an impossible task and so we need the power of God. God. We need the Holy Spirit. Elisha knows Elijah's story. He's been with him for years. He's known the tales of things that had happened beforehand. What's he seen of God? He's seen that Yahweh is a God who speaks. When we think of a prophet, that's typically uh, what we think about. Someone who speaks on God's behalf. And Elijah had done that. He was someone who spoke the word of God. What God is thinking and what God wants to say to people and situations right now. Elijah wasn't making these things up. He wasn't like, what might God think about this? And what should I say about that? God spoke to Elijah. And so he spoke those words. Often they were words of challenge to really powerful people. Sometimes they were words of hope to people who just seemed to have no hope whatsoever. But they were what God was saying. And the prophet's job is to say what God is saying. But not just to do that. Elijah's life had shown that God is a God who acts. Elijah commanded that there be a drought in the land for three and a half years, and there was. Elijah prayed for a dead child to be raised to life, and it was. Elijah asked God to bring fire from heaven, and He did. God acts, and I'm aware that when we've, you know, I've already said several things that you're like, "What on earth? How how can you possibly believe that uh, to be true?" Maybe you're not a Christian here today, or, or, or maybe you are, and you're just thinking, really. I don't want to go into the whole thing, except to say that if you grant that God exists and that He made everything and He is not tied by the rules that He created, he really can do whatever He wants. And these are unusual events. that's why they got written down. that? And then they crossed a bridge. Like well, anyone can cross a bridge. So I'm not kind of dealing the whole thing with you today, but I'm just saying, God if God's real, if you grant that God's real, it's perfectly possible for him to do the impossible, because he can do what he likes. He's a God who speaks, he's a God who acts, but he's also and always a God who loves. He displayed his love through and to Elijah. Elijah speaks to a nation that has turned away from God. They're going after other idols, they're doing their own thing, they're forgetting the one who made them and saved them and brought them into the promised land and gives them every good thing. They're ignoring him the whole time. And how does God respond? He responds with love. He reaches out to them. He says, turn away from your wickedness. He says, I'm giving you life, but you're choosing death. He sends Elijah and people like him to be embassies for him. say, here is the opportunity for you to be rescued. Here is the opportunity for you to turn around. I'm not leaving you to this until you totally finished it with me. I'm saying to you today, won't you come back? Because he's a God of love. And actually Elijah found this phenomenally hard. And he basically has a breakdown and it's described, and he, he just flees the scene. And you might think that the stern God would be like, well, that's it for Elijah. But no, God goes and finds him and restores him and gives him rest and food and recommissions him because he loves him. And with God, there's always another chance in this life. He's a God who speaks, He's a God who acts, He's a God who loves. And so this is what Elisha asks for. It's the only way that he can continue God's impossible work. Would you give me a double portion of your spirit? It might seem a bold request, but Elisha is in exactly the right place to ask it. He is in the right place relationally. He and Elijah have known each other for a decade and he has stuck close to him that whole time. When you see the patterns of their behavior, even the places they go to and the things, you do, uh, the things they do, you see this sense of Elisha following in the footsteps of Elijah. Their heart and soul together. Even their names sound similar. I'm aware when I'm preaching this, I'm, like, I'm slightly concerned that at some point I'll have said Elijah rather than Elisha or Elisha rather than Elijah. But you're almost supposed to feel that. There's a continuity between the two of them. And the repeated um, opportunities in this uh, passage that we've just read for Elisha to go his own way, to do his own thing, to take the step and be his own man. Stay here, I'm going there. Hey, it's all about you now. And he says, again and again, no, no, I'm with Elijah. I'm with Elijah till the very last minute. They stick together, they walk and talk. Elisha calls Elijah his father, And he positions himself as Elijah's son. When he asks for a double portion, that was the inheritance right of the oldest son in the family. So that's what he's saying. saying, I am your son. Would you give me the best of what you have? Perseverance is often the proof of what we really believe. It's easy to be inspired in a moment. But what will happen when things go on and years pass? Elisha has demonstrated clearly... That he will put his trust nowhere else. So he's in the right place relationally. He's also in the right place geographically. They've crossed the Jordan River, which is the kind of the eastern border of the promised land. And it was here that Elijah himself was taken by God right at the start of his own ministry. And so it's it's a place of beginnings, it's a place where things start. It was also around here that Moses passed on his leadership authority to Joshua. Moses, as we know, famously been involved in a miraculous parting of the waters for the people to escape from Egypt. And then they come to this point in between, uh, really kind of almost in between Egypt and the Promised Land, and there's the River Jordan in between them. And Moses says, it's done for me, Joshua, it's over to you. And Joshua looks at the water and thinks, what am I going to do about this? And God says to him, as I was with with Moses, so I will be with you. Moses didn't have a magic trick for the water. Moses, God, could part the water. And and God says to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And that's exactly what's happening here with Elijah and Elisha. We're meant to feel those parallels. The fact that water's being parted again is a clear sign uh, for us to know that that's what's going on. But 800 years later, after the days of Elijah and Elisha, the Jordan is still an important place. Because 800 years later, a man called John is getting into the river and he is baptising people into it. And he is doing so for their repentance and he is talking to them about one who is about to come. And John says to them, I baptise you with water for repentance But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. John's talking about Jesus. John the Baptist is the herald of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God himself. He doesn't have form uh, like we know form. We, We can't see him, unlike Jesus who comes to us in flesh and blood. The Spirit comes to us in spirit and he is able to meet with us and work in us and do so for many people in many places all at once. He is the presence and the power of God with us right now. And Jesus spoke of him as the promise of God for everyone. But in the times of Moses and Joshua, in the times of Elijah and Elisha, the Spirit was only given to certain people at certain times. And Moses himself had longed that more would be blessed this way. He says in Numbers 11, Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. All of them. Moses yearns. He's encountered the Holy Spirit himself and he looks out on the people and thinks, I wish all of them could have what I've had. That's a God-given desire. It was a righteous thing to want because throughout the Old Testament, we see promises of this being what God is going to do. Isaiah 44, God says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. In Joel 2, it says, And it shall come to pass afterwards. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. That tension Moses had, and that sometimes we still live with where we think, there's the special person, there's the one who God loves, but it'll never be for me. God says, no, I'm going to bring my spirit to all of you. I'm going to give my spirit to everyone who asks. it will be poured out. And Jesus came to make that possible. Jesus is the one who, he's, like, he's the, the focus point through which the Spirit can be poured out on all of us. Firstly, he lives by the power of the Spirit. He is clothed with the, the grace of God, the Holy Spirit. Everything he does, the Bible says he does by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he promises the same for anyone else. It says in John 7, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John says, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. After his death and resurrection, he's speaking to his remaining followers. And it says, while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And what Jesus is saying in that moment is, there's been much to inspire you. You've even seen me die and now be raised again to new life. You might think that will be enough to keep you going. It's not. You have to wait. Don't leave here until you get the Holy Spirit. Until he falls on you, until the power of God is at work in your life. When that happens, Jesus says, go. And at last, in Acts 2, after centuries of promises and waiting, it happens. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the whole company of believers every one of them encounters God for themselves and they have, they know power like they've never encountered it before and they bring thousands to faith in Jesus in that very moment and then in the months and the years to come despite great difficulty and danger they have the presence and power of God with them and they change the world they do what looked impossible but with the power of God is possible, And they and the rest of the New Testament Christians were absolutely convinced that this power of God, this promise of God was for everyone who believed. Peter says it in the first sermon in Acts 2, he declares, You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Everyone. And Luke, who's the author of Acts, shows that this is true by filling the book of Acts with encounters of all sorts of different people from different places receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it just becomes impossible from the Bible to say, it's just for those people, it's just for those few. No, any who believe in Jesus can receive his grace. We believe that this is still the case Right now, today. Christians today should expect nothing less. There is nothing in the Bible that says you should think this will stop. Has the situation become any less impossible? No. Like Elisha back by the Jordan, we're faced with things we cannot do, but we're called to. And so like Elisha, we can ask God today for his power. You can't really understand this church unless you get this point. To be honest, maybe you're uh, you're visiting, you're new in the city, uh, and you're thinking maybe this is a church I'm going to connect to. I I just want you to know this is this is why we are like what we are. Because you might just come and think, "Wow, these guys—they love lively music. Got a good band. That's great. They seem to enjoy putting their hands in the air. It's just those kind of people, I suppose. And it's lovely to see everyone getting involved." And you might think that those things are, you know, we do those things just for the sake of it. We don't. They are symptoms. They are not the cause. We don't think it would be great if we were just really excited. We've met with God. We've, We've met with God. We know that he's real. And we're thrilled by that. And so we are excited when we praise. And we're awestruck and amazed to to meet with him. And so it just doesn't work for us to have our hands in our pockets the whole time and to just kind of sit down and not be engaged because we're meeting with him. And we believe that because the Spirit's poured out on all people, we should expect that many will contribute every time we gather. And so that's what happens. So this morning, Andy didn't think, I think maybe I'll just say some noise and that will inspire someone else. Now, Andy was led by the Spirit To speak in a language that, you know, well, that's completely impossible. What does that mean? Well, the power of God came and gave Claire an interpretation. So we're not just doing these things for the sake of them, we're doing them because the Spirit is at work among us. We believe this because from first to last, the Bible tells us to expect it. It invites us to cry with Elijah Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? The answer is, he's right here, today, by his Holy Spirit. What does this look like? Well, firstly, it it looks like an interruption. If you're thinking that this doesn't sound like normal life, I mean, you're right. You've observed normal life and you've heard what we've read about today and what we're, th- what we're talking about. You think that is not the same. You're absolutely right. It is the life to come when we will be with God fully and know his wholeness in everything. It is that life, that very presence of God breaking in right now. And so it is disruptive to what's normal. King, 2 Kings chapter 2 actually interrupts. It, it's literally an interruption in the book. You could read from the end of chapter 1 straight to the start of chapter 3 and there'd be a perfect flow of royal history, of the things that the history books take note of and that most people want to know about. But then chapter 2 just interrupts in the middle with the breakthrough of the power of God and showing that what most people think is what matters is not what really matters and God is at work. Interruptions can be awkward. Interruptions unsettle our plans. Well, we need to live with that. They take things out of our control, in a way. And so long as it's God who's taken over, that is totally fine. We anticipate that. Our plans, when we plan as leaders, are always really contingent. We believe it's right to have plans. It's right to think things through. We believe that God's a God of order. But there a, comes a point where we think, so let's do this and we'll see what God does. Or let's try this and we'll see if God says something different. And we've got to anticipate that in our own lives. It's so easy to be in routine and rhythm. And sometimes that's good, but God wants to break us through something. Others of you may feel that you're in a rut. You're like, this is just life. and it's just, I just don't seem to be able to get out of it. And I'm offering you today the power of God that interrupts that and changes everything. What might happen? God might speak because he's a God who speaks. He's spoken definitively to us by his word and by his son, and he's still speaking now. He's a God who speaks. And Paul said that we're to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. That's in the Bible. It tells us to seek out that we might speak on God's behalf, to listen to God, that we might be able to say what God is saying. Prophecy today is speaking on God's behalf. Maybe you will see something. It's it's like he's giving you a vision or a picture of what he's wanting to communicate uh, to other people. It may just be an idea that comes into your head. Uh, Some people say, I I felt like I actually heard some words spoken and now I need uh, to speak those words. That's how God comes to us often in prophecy. Prophecy is always in accordance with the Bible. God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't contradict himself. And prophecy today does not have the same authority as the Bible because we know the Holy Spirit definitely wrote this and we're aware of ourselves that we've got human weakness that, that just gives us a caution and, and means that leaders should be listening and say, yeah, that does sound like it's from God, or I'm not sure, but let's see. Prophecy can be personal, from one person to another. It can be corporate for all of us together. It can be general, just a sense of God, just reminding us of something uh, that we all need to know. It can be very specific, directing your life in particular. God is a God who speaks. He wants to speak to us today. He wants to speak to you today. So we should anticipate that. He's a God who acts. Healings and other miracles occur all the way through the Bible. There's not a particular you know, miraculous patch. And the rest of it isn't like that. No, there's miracles from first to last. So we should expect the same to be true today. We have people amongst us who would say, yeah, God, God, he miraculously healed me. He miraculously changed a situation. I couldn't have done it unless, unless God had done this. It was, you know, it's a, a power of God. Some of our young people went to New Day this year. It was a gathering of uh, Christians and others from uh, around the country. And two of them came back amazingly healed. God had done something physically in their body that could not have been done. And I find it remarkable, the number of people I speak to, actually, who are Christians, that God actually just totally healed that. And we're trying to find ways of sharing those stories more effectively because they're just great. But this is true, it's people who are here, have experienced that, got friends in other churches around the country, not in other places where you think, well, maybe I don't know. No, no, right here in Skeptical UK, God is healing people. And so we should expect and ask God that we would see and be involved with him In that, right now. And he's a God who loves. Last thing, Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Later, Paul says in Romans 8, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You don't just know that God has done something for you, you are aware of his fatherly love. You know that, don't you? Someone could just say, oh, you know, I love you. And you'd be like, okay, that's fine. But there's other things that they can do for you that you have an emotional experience of that love. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's why Paul describes it in such ways. God's love has been poured into our hearts. That's, That's an experience. That's a moment with God. There are just times where, where the Spirit comes upon you, you just know that God loves you. You might have been being an absolute idiot all week long, or even for years, but then in a moment, you know, the redeeming love of God who says, I still love you, and you're to know it right now, and I'm going to bring you back to me. That's the power of God, it's the love of God. There are other times I find he just helps me see it. It's like, it's staring me in the face. But if I just keep looking at it, I'm not going to see it. And then the the Spirit just says, you see? Yes, Lord, thank you. Thank you. It's the love of God. Information about God is glorious. I love it. I read about it all the time. I like sharing it. God wants us to know him personally and love him. Because this is how we'll spend eternity. With him, delighting in him. God can do all all these things and whatever else he wants. He can do it completely unexpectedly. I know some people, they're just walking along, their life is just going normal, and then God breaks in. And they have to have someone explain it to them. But there are moments like Elisha had just before Elijah was taken away, where we're shown what it is, and we're invited to ask. And God stirs some faith in us that he would say yes to our requests. And now is the moment to ask. Now is a moment for each of us and all of us to ask God to give us his power. Elijah knew he couldn't give it. That's why he's kind of ambivalent. He says, well, I mean, I really hope you get it. It's actually not mine to give. It's the Lord's. And we're in the same situation today. We're dependent on God. And we're invited to ask. So let's ask him to meet with us right now and to show himself to be a God who speaks and a God who acts and a God who loves by his power we can live an impossible life I'm going to ask the band to come up and they're going to play and we're all going to respond and maybe you've heard this many times and you're familiar with it and you're just keen and excited and that's great And maybe you're like, this is brand new information. I don't feel like I've got the whole deal yet. Well, that's all right. Because God just wants you to ask. That's the qualification. That's what you need to do.